Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are we are live here yeah. on the uh, MMA Industry Podcast. Yeah. What is the date today? It is March 8th, the March 8th edition of the MMA Industry Podcast. I am, of course, James Lynch. And today I have a very special guest. You know him as the as nominated as the uh, 2017 MMA Analyst of the Year. He used to work at Fight Network, and now he's doing his own thing and really kicking some serious ass. It is Robin Black joining me here on the program, my good friend. Robin, how are you? Hey, man, doing really good. It's it's good hanging with you. I'm, I haven't been, I've been in and out of Toronto the last couple of weeks. But uh, I made a point so we could hang out and catch up. Yeah, it's been great. I'm trying to remember the last time we saw each other. Would have been TKO in uh, in, in December, right? Uh, when you were calling that that fight, that card. Yeah. 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 And uh, coincidentally, TKO is next uh, Friday again. Uh, what is it? March 16th. Yeah. 16th in Montreal. It's live on Fight Pass. That's a killer show, man. You know it. Like you've been yeah. there. It. Uh, the production is unbelievable. The fights are out of this world, and uh, the commentary is the fucking best. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it really is a good production. I mean, I remember going to the Bell Center in December. It was it was pretty crazy to see sort of uh, you know what is put into it, and just uh, you know the production value and, and as media. I mean, it was great. I, I really enjoyed my time there. It was awesome. And then always it's the fights in the yeah. end, right? Like yeah. it's cool when there's cool lights or cool graphics or somebody has some wicked open or like it's in the bell center, which is pretty fucking cool. And you yeah. know, you're, you're in the bell center, an arena, a hockey arena, Montreal Canadiens hockey arena. But in the end, it's the fights. It's the fighters and it's how they're matched up. And everything, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing, whether we're talking about the UFC or TKO or ACB or KSW in Eastern Europe or Asia or wherever. There are times where the show starts to think it's the show, but in the end, there have been times where you see it's like, oh, well, the fighters are replaceable. They're not. It, it's the fighters. It, people will pay attention if they care about the fighters, and they'll pay attention if they fight in, in ways that are special and engaged, and, and they're more important than the show, and they always will be. And when people mistake that, that's where you see flaws and weaknesses in, in shows and companies and productions. I completely agree, and we'll definitely get all into that in a sec. But the way I always start the show off is talking about how I've met my guests. And, you know, you and I used to work together. We've met many times. Do you remember the first time we met? I think I told you about this recently because you couldn't remember. But uh, it's, it was before Fight Network. Do you remember this? Was it at the Reserve? Was it was it? at the – okay, no, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. We're going to go all the way back to the yeah. fall of 2008, the SCORE launch party. You are with Eddie oh, Bravo. Yes. I was working at the yeah. SCORE at the time. Do you remember That's this? Right. Yes, I do. Um, so I was – what year do you think that was? Well, it's 2008, because that's when I moved to Toronto, okay. yeah. So that is 10 years ago. So yeah. 10 years ago, I was guesting on Moro's show, Moro Ronaldo, the great Moro Ronaldo's show, pretty regularly. Like at first, you know, I, I think a show did a Tuesday or Wednesday. I would come on and be a guest on Tuesday, and then like two weeks later, they'd call me again. And then it started to be almost every week, which was so cool, because Moro's so, like, you know, he's a genius, and he's wild, and he's brilliant, and he's odd, and he's, he's so talented. And to be able to be kind of mentored a little, I worked in television a bit already, but to be mentored a little by Moro was pretty cool. And then that launch party, was it the Scores launch party on yeah. at the King Street thing? Yep. And 
Eddie Bravo was doing a seminar, and I don't think I had met him before. And my brother David and I went to his seminar, and maybe we had met briefly. And then he said, well, I'm in town, bro. What do you want to do? And uh, I'm like, well, we, I know this guy. He will take us around. So we went to the score party, and then some guy took us to like eight or ten clubs, and each one he gave us a vodka Red Bull. Uh, Eddie's a genius. But, yes, I remember meeting I remember meeting a lot of different people there, and it was a really cool party. It, it just goes to show, like, ten years ago, Mauro Ranallo was doing an MMA show on that channel that was running Bellator, in fact. Yeah. Canada. Canada's been like balls deep, as Brendan would say, ball and and Joe balls deep in MMA for a long time. Yeah, it certainly has. And that wasn't much longer after you got hired at Fight Network. Cause I know you got hired in early 2009, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was 2007 or eight. I, okay. I remember so, these days when I try <laughs> to remember back in, in periods, I will try to remember what fight I was preparing for. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what, uh, I'll look that up on SureDog and get a date and I'll go, okay, well, I was, I think I was preparing for my fourth fight when I started working at Fight Network. And then I'll cross-reference the date because when you, I spent eight years, seven or eight years living as a professional fighter. Yeah. And your whole life is shaped around that. Your entire life, what you eat and when you sleep and what, everything is connected. You can, you and that's why I'm always so interested. I'm, you know, looking at an ally of Quinta or whatever his life is doing. He will remember this opponent will be connected to the house he sold. If he's having a baby, everything will be connected to that fight. So uh, I connect the beginning of Fight Network to my fourth pro fight. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's, I think it's like that for fans too, with certain fights. Like I distinctly remember watching Rampage and Dan Henderson in the UFC. And I got into a big fight with my then, my then girlfriend at the time. And I'll always remember that. Cause I remember being like, why are we having this argument on this night with this yeah. fight? And if you remember it was on spike, it was like a huge thing. So yeah. I'll always uh, sort of remember That's that. Funny. Um, we don't have a ton of time here today, but I, I do kind of want to skim over a few yeah. things. First off, obviously, the, the interest in martial arts, I know, for you was early. Uh, you grew up in, uh, was it, you grew up in uh, Manitoba. What, yes. what was it in Winnipeg? It was a very small town. When I was, there was a very small town where I kind of went from about age three or four until grade six. It was called Sydney, Manitoba. It's on the number one highway. At the time, it had 189 people. And I was really interested in martial arts, Bruce Lee and, uh, in particular. And then I moved to Pinawa, Manitoba in grade six, which is an hour and 40 minutes from Winnipeg. And shortly after that, I started training martial arts and my parents would drive me an hour and 40 minutes each way and then sit for one to two hours and watch me train three times a week from grade, I think between grade six and seven, right through till I finished high school, although I was driving by the end. Um, and I took high platform diving, gymnastics, and martial arts. Um, nice. And, and, uh, but I was always interested in that. And I'm very lucky, man. Like, I spend large portions of my life thinking about fighting, thinking about combat, about training, about how the human body moves, about how the brain moves. And this has been my interest since I was a little, little kid since I was in, you know, before I started training. And I li- I'm a 48-year-old man who makes his living. I talk and I shoot things and I edit things and I commentate things, but large, large portions of my daily life are spent following my curiosity about martial arts, finding, uncovering fascinating things and finding ways to show people that about, to enrich their experience in watching something they like. But these days I also do it to try to find ways to take those things that we learn and apply them to other areas of your life, how to be a better husband or a father or a teacher or, you know, um, anything. And, and yeah. that, it's all there. And that has been my interest from the time that I was a little child. And it still is, and it is every day, and it is all day every day. And the reason I'm prolifically putting out something, multiple things daily for the last... 10 years of my life, or especially since I I stopped fighting where I was uncovering it, is because that's what I'm compelled to do. I'm not trying to do a neat job that I think would be fun or make money. This is what I'm compelled to do. So I've shaped my life in a way that I can do the thing I'm compelled to do and pay my mortgage. 
Yeah. Exactly. No, no, for sure. Um, and, and of course, uh, you had a great career as a, gram, uh, a glam uh, rock model, uh, you know, obviously uh, in, in the Canadian scene and everything like you were sort of known for that. You mentioned, you know, still being like martial arts has always been part of your life. How did that sort of impact? Like, like how are you able to sort of still follow it and, you know, be involved in it while you're having this, you know, successful career as a musician? Um, things are easier to understand from the present when you look back. Yeah, uh, a lot of playing in a rock band was literally trying to get laid, right? Like it, was, <laughs> it really was. It was trying to get laid. It was trying to entertain people. It was to travel and party and all those things. But I also really loved the creativity. I loved performing. Is that your cat on the back? Oh, uh, he is. Yeah, he's just he's gonna hang out with us. My, so, yeah. my, my dog is in Stratford. Pluto. Where's Pluto? Yeah, he's in Stratford. I'm in Toronto right now. We okay, gotcha. Home, home in Stratford. My wife is performing in the Stratford Festival this year. Um, the um, I uh, I learned I love to perform and I love the creative aspect. So I directed some music videos. I co-directed some of ours. I learned to write. I learned to try to be more poetic. It all makes sense now, as I go and make a one minute. Uh, breakdown on Instagram or sit and pontificate about fighting or commentate or stand somewhere and be a presenter. All of that makes way more sense now in the right. grand scheme of where my life was meant to go. Uh, if I had never stood up and wore eye makeup and danced around in tight leather pants, I wouldn't be as comfortable of a performer when I commentate and analyze. I never could have been. Right. Being putting yourself into that situation changes the way you'll interface with an audience and changes the way that you don't take yourself so seriously. You know what I mean? When you paint your face and have big hair and wear purple feather boas, you will not take yourself seriously. So it teaches the clowning of it, teaches you to be a better performer later. The crafting of songs. Now, when I edit video, it looks exactly the same as when I was editing music, you know. Uh, standing there trying to improvise something funny in a, in a moment, uh, that all ties in. But at the time, it made sense to me and I enjoyed it, but I think it was more motivated by fun. It was motivated by the fun of the moment. The, you know, it was motivated by it would be really fun to get on a plane and fly to, uh, to, to um, where was, uh, Ireland or Italy with my friends and play and jump around in a rock band and have girls scream at us and drink tequila all the time. It was motivated by that. Whereas today, I'm much more motivated by the future. I'm much more motivated at the idea that I'll be way better at what I do in a month and six months and six years if I continue to do it every day. Then I was like, I wasn't really that driven to be a better singer. I wasn't, because it wasn't really my calling. It was, I was lucky enough to do something exciting and fun on the path to my calling. So it makes right. a lot more sense now to me. At the time, people close to me were worried, why are you spending your time? You know, and I, I had a full-time job, so I would work cutting people's hair uh, all day and then take the money that we made and reinvest it in the band to travel <laughs> and make records and do all those things. And we made a bit of money here and there, make music videos and do all those things. And people would be like, why aren't you buying a home? Or why aren't you starting a business that you... But I think I needed those adventures and I think I needed the things that I learned from that. There's no question that I'm a better analyst, commentator, interviewer, you know, broadcaster, uh, all the things, that, editor, voiceover, all of them. I'm better at all of them because I did that. So I'm happy that it was part of my mastery to where I'm hoping to be one day. Um, but in retrospect, I, I did it a few years longer than I would have. I would have liked to have been fighting four or five years earlier than I did. I started fighting very late. And uh, so that, there's always some, there can be some regret no matter what you learned or what value you got out of something. And I think that's okay. Yeah. And what I think is interesting too, I mean, you've lived sort of the lifetime of like, you know, a couple different lifetimes, which is kind of neat if you look at the different career paths that you've gone in. And obviously there's the leap from, you know, glam rock performer to fighter. I know it was sort of health related. For those who sort of don't know about that, what sort of led you to becoming a professional fighter? Well, when I tell the story, so I do a one man show, as you know, I'm doing yeah. one in Ireland, June 22nd. And it was a very fascinating thing to craft a 45 minute storytelling show that takes people through it. My goal was to be able to tell a story, make people laugh, make them shocked if, if that was an honest storytelling, but also 
throw in the odd interesting life lesson or punch drunk philosophy that they could use, right? And uh, so when I tell the story of, of being in England and we're partying like crazy, we're taking a lot of drugs and that was just natural, it was normal. Like it wasn't like, you know, we made some crazy decision or we didn't or we became addicted to this or we didn't, we just, you partied all the time. That was the, that was the nature of, of that job. It was the nature of that adventure. Uh, five years earlier, you would dr start drinking beer every time you got to the venue. But five years later, there was beer in the morning and it was funny. That guy drank beer as soon as he woke up. So everybody eventually did. And then, you know, there was always this really cheap trucker speed kicking around in England. So after living that way for, you know, living in an unhealthy way and not exercising other than jumping and kicking in my band for years and then really acutely living that way for three weeks in England, I had a seizure while, you know, on the second or third last day of the trip. And nothing bad happened to me. I felt ill. There was like a poison that was released in my muscles, so it hurt. And I knew something was wrong, but in retrospect, I didn't do any permanent damage. But it kind of made me go, what the fuck am I doing? This isn't even my favorite thing. I really wish I was, you know, most of my time then I was back to reading martial arts books and watching martial arts movies and, and, and buying any DVD of any martial, uh, studying jujitsu and all that kind of stuff, trying to do that. But I, then you would train and then you know, by afternoon you were drinking beer and eating only pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And suddenly I'm like, this is a point in my life where either I'm going to spend, I'm going to make the choice to live exactly the way I want, or I'm going to let the defaults of life direct me somewhere. And I right. don't want to travel in a rock band anymore. And I don't want to drink vodka, Red Bull, and take trucker speed every day. And I don't want to be a little dumber and a little less funny and a little less healthy. And a I don't want to be those things. So I came home and I almost... I started training jujitsu and Muay Thai immediately. I, okay. When I tell the story in my storytelling show, I say, and I made the decision right then and there that I would do what I really wanted to do, which was uh, uh, commentate martial arts on television. And within 10 years, I would be a commentator in the UFC. That's how I tell it. The truth, and that is storytelling that is truthful in in the condensing of a story. But the long form of the story is I started to train martial arts every day. I have we lost Robin? I think we may. Oh, still got oh, him. I'm here. You're still I, here. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I immediately started to eat better. I started <clears> walking every day and then I started jogging a little. And within a couple of weeks of being home from that, I, I went and took jujitsu and I was sore, so brutally sore every day. And then I was taking Muay Thai and jujitsu. And then within weeks of that, I was training noon and 7 p.m six or noon to one and six to eight or later five days a week and then i added tuesday and thursday 7 a.m to 9 a.m so i was training 11 or 12 times a week and within a couple of months of that i was like i'm going to fight but tr i knew that the purpose that my purpose as i started to get really clear as to what i wanted i wanted to commentate fighting i i I always connected to martial arts in a way that was different than other people. I didn't just say the things that we were taught to say, oh, look, watch out for the triangle. I didn't, when I watched fighting, I looked for something different. I, I felt I, I could offer something to enrich the experience for the audience and pay homage to the fighters. I knew that was true. But I also knew that there were photos and videos of me wearing eye makeup and nail polish and giving the finger and playing this arrogant character that were everywhere. And the only way it would be possible was to fight a couple times. And I fought twice and I lost both times. And then I thought I'll fight till I win. And then I won. And then I thought, well, you know, that was pretty good. And I'm getting better and I'm learning and I have many, many new questions and many new things that I have to figure out. So. Then I just kept going and I fought nine times, but I, I learned so much more and there's epic failures and, and good successes. And I truly believed that uh, you cannot really do the job that I want to do if you haven't fought. It's not yeah. possible. It really isn't. Not to do it to any level. You can say, 
you know, striker versus grappler, he's got knockout power in both hands, you know, uh, this guy's got great finishing instincts, you know, he's got great distance. You can say these things, but you can't really understand them. You can't understand the fear. You can't understand the anxiety. You can't understand how painful, how hard you cry when you fail epically. You can't understand what it's like when you wake up from being choked unconscious and you can see your mother at the side of the cage. And you can't understand. I see people say, why doesn't he go for it? You can't understand how your train brain has been retrained by the professional athlete in front of you for the last 12 minutes. There's so much you can't understand. And I needed to understand as much of it as I could. Um, and I became a better person by training. And I still become a better person every time I train. Um, training martial arts makes you a better person. It makes you learn better. It makes you smarter. It makes you more successful. It makes you more empathetic. It, makes, it, it takes away ego a little bit at a time. No matter, I had a lot of ego, and, and so it, it's, it hasn't successfully taken away all of it. But one day, by the time I'm an old man, I will be as free of ego as possible. And, and uh, it makes you learn to question things. It makes you learn to ask why. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? What does this mean? How and why? Somebody says block the leg kick. Why do I block it? Oh, you successfully blocked it. How did I do that? On and on and on and on and on. It's the martial arts is the greatest thing in the world. It's you have a son. You should put your son in gymnastics or wrestling uh, or karate. You absolutely positively should. I'm your yeah. friend. And if yeah. I can tell you that there would be something that would change his life forever at four or five years old, at least offer him the chance to do gymnastics uh, or wrestling or karate or something. Uh, because yeah. it changed. I was every good thing in my life is owed to the fact that I, my parents took me to, to martial arts training and then that I made the choice uh, 10 or 11 years ago to rededicate myself to what was really important to me, which was martial arts. And now I'm sitting here t talking to you about a brilliant industry that we're in that we love every day. And, and I owe that to, to martial arts. Well, I'm glad you brought up the thing about, you know, having fought and there's certain things that you will understand that other people won't because we had a good example of this this past weekend uh, with a guy that's actually coached by one of our uh, mutual friends, Evan Boris, uh, Andre Sukumtai, you know, the big talk over the weekend was how he didn't go for the takedown when Sean O'Malley uh, hurt his foot. But I mean, I think what people don't realize is the fighter's mindset in that moment. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you saw the fight and, and I don't know if you yeah. talked to Evan at all, but you know, that what are your thoughts on that? So I see... I'm, I'm trying to be more empathetic and, and, uh, and, and care more and be more considerate of viewers. Not everybody fucking dedicates their whole life to analyzing combat. Most people have complex lives. They have families and jobs and all these things. So I would see somebody would say, why didn't Jose Aldo use leg kicks against Max Holloway? Why the fuck wasn't he using leg kicks? Um, and that person has a job and a life and a girlfriend and travel and bills and all these things. He can't spend his whole day studying it and training it and so forth. So I'm not, I don't judge that anymore. But um, you ask yourself the, this question, why didn't, and Jose Aldo or the case, why didn't we shoot a takedown? What do you think the, we ask, if we ask the person, what do you think the answer is? I'll, I'll offer you two. He's stupid or there's some other answer. He's not stupid. These are professional fighters trained at the highest level. Is it possible there was just an error? Even an error will have a why, will have an explanation. Even an error. So uh, to me, one of the I, – I, I have good friends that work in this business who, uh, who talk about the job of analysis as criticism. And I know that criticism is not inherently bad to be a critic or to criticize. We think of it, don't criticize me, mom. We think of it as a negative thing. But I don't criticize in that way because I don't, I know I am not qualified to. Um, when, and it's worse when somebody do, does not and has never fought because they'll say that, oh, he made this huge error. He didn't shoot any takedowns. Jose didn't go to the leg kicks. You don't understand his brain in that moment. What is happening between Cub Swanson? <laughs> like, I'm such a nerd. Like, Cub Swanson's on my book. So what's happening between Cub Swanson and Fighter B is they are training each other's brains. They are attempting to train each other's brains for 15 minutes. 
And if I jab you three, one time, or you jab me one time, it will affect my ability to move forward. Now, if I jab Cub Swanson 27 times, it will have less of an effect on him because he's trained his brain to overcome that. Your son will one day touch something hot. And what's he going to do? He's going to pull his hand away and he's going to cry. Is he ever going to touch that thing again? No. No. Uh, and that's what we're teaching. That's what we're teaching Jose Aldo to do. That's what we're teaching Conor McGregor to do. So sometime, and now if he looks, now he looks at that element and you say, touch it. And he's like, he will not do it. So if Jose Aldo looks at a scenario and sees a threat, this guy is putting his leg here because he wants me to kick it. The reason he wants me to kick it is because I see he's got this loaded thing. That will preemptively make him not kick it. So it is possible that we don't shoot the takedown on the guy with the, with the injured foot because I'm too tired. It's possible because my brain is like, I got to get him out of here. I got to get him out of here. I got to hit him. Also, if instead of taking him down, I hit him and I knock him out, nobody would question it. It's only wrong because it failed. And it's still not wrong. If you, it, if you say, I'm going to try to punch that guy till I knock him out and you do it, it's, we will say that is correct even if it was the wrong choice or a low percentage choice. If you fail to do it, we will say it's incorrect. Those are outcomes. The outcome is we didn't throw the leg kicks, we lost. What if not throwing leg kicks, I landed a punch and knocked him out? The outcome is I didn't take that man down and I lost. What if instead of taking him down, I knocked him out? We cannot sit here, and, and that goes for even the best. When Dan Hardy analyzes a fight, Dan Hardy got fucking punched in the face by George St. Pierre in front of a million people. He understands what it is to hesitate or be unable to ask your brain to do something, demand your brain to do something. Do you remember when Jason McDonald kept taking down Damian Maya? Yep. What the fuck were you? And, and uh, like, why were you? And he's like, I don't know. I didn't want to. All like we kept saying, don't do it. Eddie Alvarez, one of the best game day performers in the world. Eddie Alvarez said, Eddie, what happened against Connor? I don't fucking know. The plan was don't box, don't engage at distance, only close the distance. Don't box, only wrestle. And I stayed at distance and I boxed. I have no idea. His brain wouldn't allow him to. He didn't choose to do the wrong thing. That was chosen for him. And, if you can, and most people cannot understand that. And most people shouldn't understand it. It's a complex, bizarre thing. That's what I'm here for. That's what Dan is here for. That, But... That's real. And when we yell at our TV, why the fuck didn't Jose Aldo throw any leg kicks? We don't understand. And that's why we cannot criticize. You know, again, I have friends that, that, that moved from talking about the rankings or talking about matchups into trying to do analysis who have never fought or competed, and they will criticize. And I don't judge them for it. I'm not mad at them. I won't call them out or say their names or do any of those things. But they shouldn't criticize. They don't understand. They don't yeah. understand. It's, it's fucking the highest level. Of, you're, you're in an altered mental state when you fight. You really are. Mm. Every fighter will tell you that. Anyone who's fought one time, they won't be able to, dis to really process it. Three times, there will have been different states. One time you were racked with fear. Another time you were somewhat calm. Another time you were a blend of both. But by five or six or seven times, you start to understand this is an altered a, biologically altered mental state and by 20 and 30 and 50 i don't know other than what I, the people that have been that have at least appreciated me enough or been kind enough to me to try to make me understand those things i'll never get to fight 25 times I, i'll also never get to fight in front of a million people i've only fought in front of you know 20,000 on tv or or 5,000 in the arena i don't know what that's like but at, i understand that you're in a in a psychologically and biologically altered state and so while we're watching at home saying you know why didn't he do that we don't understand we you know we don't understand and it's unfair to the to the fighter and i believe it's unfair to the audience uh, if you really are and there are millions of there are thousands of different ways to enjoy fighting but if you one of them is you're curious and really it, it's meaningful to you I think we're being unfair to the audience if we treat them stupid. 
and I think there's a lot of that going on. I think there's, I think that that the UFC, my beloved UFC, I do love them, and I do work for them, and I do all kinds of little pieces. And Dana brings me in to do things here and there. But I believe that they are treating the audience like they're stupid, and it's 2018, and uh, and in a lot of cases, if if there is truth to the fact that all their numbers are shrinking, and if there's truth to the fact that every week people watch the pre and post by down eight or 10 or 12%. And if it's true, the numbers are down. Part of that reason is the formula that they use. And part of it is the audience is so much smarter than they were five years ago. And they're not talking to them like they are smarter. And that is, that is cultural. That's a cultural belief within that company. Um, and I don't badmouth them. That's, that's my factual observation. I love the UFC. I'll take a lot more work for the, with them as it comes yeah. and I'll do it proudly uh, because I love them. But that, as somebody who cares enough to observe it, I think they, I think a lot of the, a lot of it is presented as if the audience is dumb. And I think a lot of that is because the expectation of what's possible is so unbelievably fucking low that when you just, Karen, who is very good at her job, throws to Mike, who's a very smart guy, or Tyron or whoever, and they just say the same dumb shit that they said four years ago. You know, the same shit that the audience is saying on Twitter and they're not enriching them in any way. I think uh, I think that's part if there's a shrinkage and there may be and it's not permanent. It can be undone. It can be yeah. there can be excitement around fighting and excitement around UFC like there hasn't been in years with a with a refocus and a re, and a new perspective. Uh, but if there is some of that, it is partly because uh, from a cultural level and a and a level of how the 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 machine is treating the audience. They're treating these people like they're stupid and they're not stupid. The audience can see what the fuck is going on. And we're also telling them a lot of different lies every single time we talk about fighting uh, because we think it's easier than telling them the truth of what's happening and how special it is. So I see that every, every week. I find it somewhat frustrating, but I also, I've tried to learn to accept things as they are and, and, uh, and influence them where I can. Lots to dissect there. Obviously, a lot of philosophical stuff, which is very interesting. But, you know, what I find interesting, too, is I remember when you first started at Fight Network, uh, you were doing like news updates. You and uh, Candace DeVay, I remember way back in the day, you were yeah. that's where, where you started. Yeah. And then I remember when I left uh, the network, probably around 2012, um, you know, you guys went in the new studio and things really started yeah. to ramp up. Where was that moment for you where you decided, I'm going to do breakdowns, we're going to do them like this? How did that sort of come together? That's one thing I've always wanted to ask yeah, you. That's cool. Um, so... I've never been all that interested in news and not just news <laughs> around fighting, uh, news in general. I can't yeah. watch whether I don't care if you're Fox or MS, whatever, or CNN, wherever you are on it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's bad for you. It's bad for you. It's gossip. It's not true. A lot of it is, you know, we're inherently biased and our bias is getting harder and harder side to side. We talk like people don't talk about things that matter to us. They talk about what people said or tweeted. And to me, that is just to analyze. And I, if we take it back to what we do, 
for me to analyze brilliant artists who are brilliant athletes who have stretched, dedicated their lives to a moment, and for me to spend any time worried about what they tweeted is wrong for me. So, and that was never my interest, although I loved fighting. And there really wasn't, and this is the truth, there was, when I went to do, to really dig into that, there was no demand for it. It didn't exist in any UFC programming whatsoever. Um, Jack Slack did written articles looking at how fighting happened, and somebody named BJJ Scout, who nobody knows who he or she is, did little video things about BJJ. And I had, I had read Jack's work, and I really admired it. I'd never seen BJJ Scout yet at the time, although shortly after I started doing breakdowns, people shared, shared it with me. And Lawrence Kenshin, who's an OG and very brilliant. Um, but it didn't exist. There was no, and I'm very proud to have played whatever small part I played with those people and people probably more important than me. It didn't exist. If you go back and you, I, I don't know, maybe 2012, and you, you look at what we were doing, breaking down Uriah Faber or whoever doing things in front of a television, no such thing existed. Um, and uh, in fighting or, and although if you look to other sports, who's that guy? Uh, in football, Madden, like Madden yeah. did stuff, but I don't know if he stood there and did it or if he just did it on a thing. And the technology must have been incredible. It must have been millions of dollars for him to do that at the time. So it existed in those ways, but nobody fucking, and people said nobody will care. And when we started at places, you would always know the new, back then, the new uh, MMA show, they'd say, we need to do demonstrations of how to do a triangle, <laughs> or we need to show people how to do an armbar. And I would always pull my hair out because I literally I would say over and over again, we don't have to show the viewers how to do a triangle. We have <laughs> to show the viewers how to watch a triangle. Right. You know, we yeah. don't have to show the viewers how to, how to do a double leg takedown. We have to show the viewers how to watch a double leg takedown. And that was my philosophy. That was, that was my belief. And I, and I was pretty alone on that. Um, you know, um, a year or two later, Dan, who I admire greatly and is a good friend and, and uh, uh, started doing with John, who I also very much like, they started doing something. And, and I've never heard them say, yeah, we saw Robin doing a thing in front of a TV and we wanted to do it. Um, I don't know if they had even seen it, um, but they then took it and projected it into a larger mainstream kind of thing, did it with two people, did it slower, did it more of a spoken analytical way, whereas I tried to do mine as like a grab you and, and funny or intense or controversial or uh, provocative kind of way and as a performance, because I was a performer. Um, but, so I went, I forget what the very first one was, but if you go into Fight Network's YouTube channel and you look under there, whatever, I don't know how you group things, but it, Robin's yeah. breakdown will be there. You'll find one of the early ones, and there's probably one a couple months before that. I went and I cut down footage of something to illustrate this is what happened. And I if, if such a thing existed before, I think BJJ Scout may have done it before. I've never seen it. And I brought it to our producer, Glenn McDonald, who I very much admire. Um, truthfully, I think the owner of Fight Network is a brilliant man. I worked there, uh, Leonard Asper, I worked there for a long time because the last few years, because I admired him so much. Uh, I think if you do work for an organization, it should be because you admire the boss. And then Glenn McDonald and later Bobby Torrens, who were the production guys, admired them greatly and learned a lot from them. In the middle, there was a lot of strategists and, and um and executives who are probably burning money and uh, contributing almost nothing and are responsible <laughs> for the shrinkage. Those are the people that made the strategies that caused this. But at the top, Glenn, and at that level, uh, Glenn McDonald, Glenn literally said, In Glenn, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Glenn literally encouraged Ram Dean and I to um, – uh, do ex experiment and try new things all the time. And when I said I wanted to do this, he's like, yeah, do it. He goes, we need, you, you're so animated. Why don't you get out from behind the desk? And I was like, we could do that. And then all of a sudden we were putting it on a screen. And from there it just went. And the, those breakdowns, uh, now it's a normal thing. Now they, although uh, now they try to run little bits in the UFC programming, but they don't get, the thing people don't get, <laughs> the thing that they don't, that they don't see, 
is this isn't television has always been a how can we make something work and then reproduce that formula right that is yeah. the the inherent nature of television it's partly why you know if you if you don't need to watch every ufc all the time now it's not cuz you don't love the fights and the fighters it's because that same formula over and over again wears you down it doesn't matter how many times you say and the winner gets a title shot at the third time you've ever heard that, you're like, no fucking way. The winner gets a title shot. And at the thousandth time, it is less meaningful. You know, that 700th title fight you've seen doesn't mean the same as the four. And, but to create that ability, the flaw of it is the formula itself. The flaw is not Michael Bisping or fucking Karen Bryant or a broadcaster or a camera angle. The flaw is the product is the formula itself. And when you try to do breakdowns on these shows, the formula is here's some footage. Uh, you know, Brian Stan say something about it. We did. We took this footage and here's a kick and we drew a circle around it. No, the way you do it is you fucking sit there with that stuff for many hours over and over again in different ways until you find some true beauty or something truly fascinating in it. As you're studying how Dwayne Ludwig trains that fighter, or as you're studying the history of how Duke Rufus uh, uh, fought this way, as you're studying how the chemistry of the brain works, as you're studying what is happening in the human body, and you're looking at systems analysis, and as you're doing all of this eight hours a day, you then look at the footage and you go, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. But what happens instead is they go, look, there's a takedown. We put a circle around it. And the guy <laughs> talks. That's not you're not giving the audience something beautiful or meaningful or something that you could uncover where they have this aha moment. You're just fucking making TV and TV sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? TV sucks. TV sucks now because we don't have to do it that way anymore. The reason we did TV the way we did TV was because there were television commercials that had to be there. There was a production line na nature of it where we had to make B-roll, roll in the graphics, do whatever. We don't have to do that anymore. We go on Joe Rogan's podcast for three hours and him and somebody look, or we can sit here on your podcast and we can talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. And the audience who watches television now watches conversations like this and the whole thing feels rather formula formulaic and you we're not giving them anything special so what you then do is you you seek something special you and you dedicate yourself to it and you do it for weeks months years and you find more and more and more inherent mystery and beauty in it and you peel back layers and every layer of something else you learn reveals new fascinating curious things that you have to study as you do that you share that with the audience but what television does is we show this and then we say knock out power with both hands he's got to defend the takedown but if he can catch the kicks he had a great fight against cub swanson if he can do that against frankie edgar he's going to have good results and nobody gives a shit <laughs> because we because if you're a real fight fan we you watch deep conversations you you're on instagram watching how Dwayne trains his guys you're on youtube watching how duke you know uh, you're watching greg jack you're on the you're listening to greg jackson's team's podcast and you're seeing all of this and then you turn on the tv and i got a thing here it, it, do you know how the um the what do they call it the technology adoption life si life cycle works have you ever no. heard of this? No, I haven't. Okay, no. So, so I'm going to draw a thing. I, got, I always have stuff kicking around. But this is a very weak example. Okay. Of it. But, but you see this curve? See this? Uh, can you see that curve? Yes, I can. Yeah. Okay. So here, and, and there, this is not to scale. Also, uh, this is not my area of, of specific expertise. This, I take ideas like this and I apply them to how you learn to fight or how we learn to watch fights. This, these would be the innovators, people who do something new. They yeah. take risks, they're young, and they're, they're not afraid. These are what they would call early adopters, okay? This mm -hmm. would be the early majority, and this would be the late majority. These are people in their 50s now. These are people who don't like change. They still, you know, listen to country music on CD in their car. And no, no disrespect to country music. It, um, I just <laughs> use it as an example. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, then down here, this would go on further. And then there would be something called the laggers. 
this is how anyone adopts any technology. So if you watch television, you're somewhere here. You're part of the late majority. There's YouTube where, where we are. There's Instagram that has fascinating, interesting tidbits of things. There is um, Anchor where people are instantly putting up five-minute podcasts for digestion. It's going to be big. Remember, you, you, we had a conversation about Anchor in about six months when it's everywhere. This is how people adopt technology. It's also how people adopt verbiage. It's how people adopt martial arts. If you are training and you still think, I better defend the takedown because he's a jiu-jitsu guy, you are not here where you're saying, I'll be moving my feet in such a way that he cannot grab me at all. Yeah. Or here, innovating in a way that's saying, I will do something that most people don't even understand. The UFC aims their, especially Fox, aims their broadcast at these people. They're aiming the late adopters. And I've had conversations with executives there that I respect and love that hire me for work that I'm proud to do work for. And they say, well, you know, the, the, um, we got, we got that, uh, casual fan there's no fucking such thing as a casual fan if you turn something on in a world where you can watch every porn ever made every song ever made ever created every movie ever made every video game on earth you can watch every moment in human history in a hundred thousand podcasts if you are watching fucking ufc you are a fan there's a few of these people left going oh what's on i think i look everybody else is somewhere on this continuum and yet you want to target your audience here these you want the early adopters you want something so smart and so new done in a way that is phrased and presented in a way that doesn't chase away the early majority they become curious and they follow it and if there is a shrinkage in how the ufc is being consumed and i'm not sure that there is and if there is because people say all kinds of shit. And if yeah. there is, it can certainly be undone. But it is philosophical in the sense that they aim the production, the, the everything at the late adopter. And people are like talking about how the average audience is getting older. They're the late adopters. They're, they're, you know, hey, they don't want change. They don't want you to use new verbiage. They don't want you to present something a different way. They don't want you to... to but they, you do not customize your product to the fucking late adopters. You customize your product, in, especially in 2018, where everybody's learning so incredibly fast. The fighters are changing so fast. The audience is changing so fast. The way it can be digested and consumed is changing so fast. And you're still sitting at a desk running a B-roll of somebody with a circle around a leg saying, it's a leg kick. If he can land more leg kicks, he might have an opportunity to take this man out and then get a title shot. That's fucking 2012. So that's what's happening. And, um, and why do I even notice that? Because I went through it with Fight Network. I had to study and understand why is Fight Network shrinking? Why are they laying off the, uh, what, uh, you know, why are they laying off digital people why are they laying off social media creators why are they laying off youtube this is their future it's because they were sitting here the the executives who are aging out and they sit here and then the people who were here in their company were the ones that they laid off because these guys make a lot of money and if and they control the message to the owner so i watched that happen then you see it happen in fox and you see it happen in your the ufc which i love I still want to commentate the UFC, although now I have 12 other commentating jobs that I do also love. But you watch this happen. And this, this continuum of the, the, uh, the innovator, the early adopter, the early majority, I learned this watching how people view, how fighters and their coaches view combat. That's how I, you know, if Stephen Thompson or Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz fucking innovated something that other people should have started to study and understand. And instead of going, how do we acquire these skills and why do they work and how do we understand them? If we understand the system, we can implement it. All they said was, well, Dom's different. He's unique. Dom's not unique. Dom is a human being who worked really hard and studied and created the ability to be a champion. Other people could too. It took them years. Now... People understand that. Now the idea of what Dom does, if he doesn't change, starts to become a little bit old. As newer guys, you know, I don't think he lost to um, what's his what's his face that that kid with the tattoos. Oh, really, Garbrandt, Cody Garbrandt. I have a thing with names, and it, it dates back to to uh, I think being hit in the head. It's names in particular, but 
But obviously, I know who Cody, Cody Garbrandt is. I can tell you exactly which punch combination he used to beat Almeida. I can tell you exactly what he said to me in New York. But every now and again, I'm in trouble with names. I know it was taking contact. But this is – I live a life that I love, and I wouldn't have had it without taking those punches to the head. So I am not regretting it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think Cody Garbrandt beat Dominic because Dominic is a late – has become from an innovator to a late adopter. But – what Dom did is now understood what Dom did instead of being an innovator that cannot be understood. The early majority all understands what Dom used to do. So Dom has to change and re-innovate. That's where I understood that. This is my life is studying martial arts. But as I like to say, the study of martial arts is the study of everything. Yeah. And that's actually, and I was, I was going to say, that's actually yes. a good segue to kind of my next uh, question, yeah. which is, you know, this time last year, it's kind of interesting. We're recording the show. Uh, you know, you guys uh, do the MMA awards, you guys uh, cover UFC 209, and then you come back and you find that you've been let go from Fight Network. And now I'm sure, you know, you find, and I, I believe it was your day off when you found out. Um, yeah. you know, you, you, I was in, I was out of town. Yeah. I was uh, visiting my wife in um, San Diego when, and yeah. I found out by text, which, you know, <laughs> they didn't they didn't nail that but what are you gonna do yeah so you you have to now figure out a way you know you're used to going into an office and having this you know all this uh, stuff uh, available to you and now you have to figure out how to adapt as your own and i know initially there was a bit of you know sort of what the hell am i going to do yeah but then you figured it out and now here you are today and you're doing still amazing work you know just take me through that journey of you know getting let go and now where you are today well i was it's an interesting thing because it is my friend Rick uh, talked to me about perceived injustice, that somehow someone did something to you. And we all experience that. You know, if your wife is late for something, you think she did that to you. She didn't. She just was in traffic. She didn't do anything to you. Um, so I had this, excuse me, I'm drinking coffee and I had a little burp there. But this is the internet. Man, if I did that on Fox, what would happen? Uh, but uh uh, so I had a bit of perceived injustice. I also looked very much, I was so attached to that place because Ramdeen, Pollock, myself, uh, we felt an ownership of what that company was doing. We felt like we were a big part of creating it. And in retrospect, I think the, the year since has probably proven that we were right. We also, I had a real, and still do have a real good connection to the owner. If one day he restructures something and he's still in the fight, media business and he came to me with an idea i would work for that man in a second i admire him greatly um but uh yeah it was a weird one i was at a a thing haste and hustle this company put on this this speaking thing last week it was about media modern media you know um a lot of different speakers and so forth and I was speaking to different people and I made a few friends and they asked about what I do. And then, you know, they would open up like, oh, you, you, you release stuff on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and Periscope and so on and so forth. Oh, and you work for these. Wow. How did that happen? I said, well, a year ago, I used to work for this company. And they're like, how did you get out of that? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, like, how were you able to get out? Like, you know. By 2015, 2016, all these smart companies were taking valuable people who had influence and audience and stuff, and they were really signing them, forcing them to sign to like very restrictive contracts so they could keep them, that as the world changed, you would be the most valuable parts of people like you would be the most valuable parts of their companies. I'm like, actually, I had no contract, and they let me go. And people, and I don't mean to be negative, and I don't mean to be uh hurtful or combative fight network still exists and i still have some friends there they're going through shrinkage but they they are tough they have pulled themselves out of worse but people literally laughed when i said in 2017 a company cut the creators who made instagram youtube twitter facebook etc people who did made created social media and youtube and created content that they were cut because you're we're living in a world where there are two Two moves right now. So if you had TV, you had this chunk of an audience. They're all leaving. You can be one of two things. You can take some of that audience that is leaving from everyone by releasing some of your overpaid executives who are probably fairly irrelevant in the new new model uh, and keeping young uh, creators who have an audience and then bringing in really young people who have like agile, new ideas, can change on a dime. Um, 
and then you're taking a piece of that audience if you have quality and do good work and do meaningful work that people care about part of that audience will go to your company or you become the company that just loses the audience because you stop trying to compete in a world of facebook instagram twitter youtube and i said well they chose to go that way uh which is a losing decision it was uh and i look at it len the owner of fight network you know he the he runs and controls he's a brilliant man and he runs and controls many many businesses and many many things that he's doing he has to be able to rely on and trust the strategy people have the right strategy and the poor guy had strategy people who had the wrong strategy so fortunately for us we got let go into a world right at the time where we could do all of these things and the more of these things i did now tsn hired me which was, you know, part of the reason, again, I, you know, and I, I really don't want to be critical. It's hard not to when you are being analytical and you look at the change and you, a year later, you can see how strategically bad uh, these executive decisions were. But part of their reason was like, well, TSN has some of the same programming as us. So, um, you know, maybe we'll stop doing some of that programming. Well, one of your valuable assets ended up going over there. Right. You know, yeah, now I'm there. And I'll tell you, man, I had no idea that you could find a, a mainstream place that is that well run. It's like the moment I sat in there. So within a, within about a month to six weeks of Fight Network saying we're cutting the entire department that creates these things. My friend Aaron Bronstadter, who has been the, the linchpin at TSN. Who's been on the show, by the way, too. He's yeah. like one of our early guests. Yeah. So, oh, he's yeah. a fucking great guy. He's and, awesome. And yeah. really smart and really hardworking, really organized. He's got all the kinds of really valuable skills. And he's a great guy to hang out with. He's really cool. He literally went to the boss and said, look, we're growing this. This guy's available. In my opinion, he's the guy we need. I didn't ask him. He didn't tell me necessarily. I think he might have said, hey, I, might, I, I was thinking I'd mention your name to the, the vice president of TSN. What do you think? I'm like, sure. Then I went in to meet with the men and we ran through a bunch of my breakdowns and, he, and found them enjoyable. And he thought uh, that I uh, did a good job. But he also is not a, a fight obsessive. He, he watched. He sat with me. I, I knew right away I'm dealing with somebody very highly intelligent and uh, also very fucking good leader, especially, you know, when you can compare it to other places that you've seen that during times of change, he's a great leader. And then the two people he has running sports, um, uh, sports center are great leaders because they've learned from him. And all of a sudden you have this brilliant structure inside. You have this really positive driven structure. So I sit down with, with Ken Volden, who's the vice president. And he watches one, then two, and then four, and then five of the breakdowns. And he's like, well, I can, I understand that. He's like, when you say this, I get it. And I'm not a fight guy. He goes, that's great. He goes, but truthfully, now that I've watched eight or 10, he goes, I like them. He goes, but what I get from watching this is that they each took you knowing this business and what something like this takes in a, in an environment where you don't have a lot of resources. Uh, you probably spent what 40, 50 hours on each one. I'm like, yeah, 30, 40, 50, sometimes more hours on each one. He goes, so I'm looking at thousands of hours of work here. And anyone who puts in thousands of hours of driven, passionate work will get good at something. So I'm looking at, and as soon as I'm looking at it, I'm like, that insight, and not just because that was a nice thing to say to me, that insight is insight you can learn from. When you're dealing with somebody, it's like, not how, what are they or how good are they? It's how hard do they work? And is, is how, what of that work will make them better? And will that work continue? And will they continue to get better? So all of a sudden, I'm in this environment with these brilliantly driven people, brilliantly organized people, brilliantly successful people. And right away, I started to thrive. And I, you know, uh, we used to look at when we were there, proudly a part of this small company doing bigger and bigger things, which was what, how we saw Fight Network and how we really loved being a part of it and trying to make it something special for Leonard, you know, and, and for the, our coworkers. We always would look at Sportsnet or Fox or ESPN and be like, oh, I bet that would be hard. Everybody would tell you what to do. They say you got one minute, say this, this and this. You know, they tell you how to dress. These guys literally said, go do your thing. We believe in what you do. You work really hard. You really organize and do your thing. Actually, I'll tell you a, a, a true story. Perfect. So, and just, just, just keep in yeah, mind, we do have about yeah. five minutes left. Just no want to let you know that. You'll, but go you'll for like it. this story. Okay, let's hear um, it. And it's, it's a true story. So Ken 
uh, says to Jason, the the producer of, of Sports Center, yes, let's let's do something with Robin. Let's have him do. And I did one or two things on there about Conor McGregor when Floyd Mayweather was coming up. So they say, say we want you know Conor, and he knows you. We want you to be first in line on the red car- carpet when he comes out and get the first couple of questions. Now, I'm not a this guy. I'm an analyst. I mm-hmm. talk about fighting. I, I, I use passion and persistence to study fighting until I find beauty and then share it and try to grow people's appreciation of the art form. That's what I do. I don't do this. Hi. So, so I'm like, holy fuck, this is going to be. I'm feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. But I do get in there. Other people are kind of pushing me, but I get in there. Ken, the, the vice president of TSN, who's busy running the whole fucking show, not fighting. He's got football and baseball and hockey and everything. Right? He's, he's finding this whole thing interesting. So in this rare moment, he decides to come to, the, to McGregor's appearance, something mm-hmm. he doesn't do, doesn't ever have time to do. I'm your McGregor, or uh, your where the red carpet is. Ken is standing right behind me. And I'm standing there and McGregor gets out of his limousine and he does his strut wearing an expensive suit. And it's, it's McGregor, Audie, his manager, and um, one of the young guys from uh, David August suits. Now, I am also wearing a suit from David August that uh, was bought for me by the UFC when I started to do breakdowns. And uh, so Connor is marching up to the thing and he sees me full march, full look on his face. Oh, hi, mate. And he runs over and shakes my hand and gives me a, a hug and then goes back to March mode. Audie gives me a hug and, and the young guy from David August Suits pulls out my thing, puts it back in, says, oh, you look great. You look great. And then they walk up and then I get the first question. But McGregor falls out of his march to not say hi to any other person, but to shake my hand. Now, I named the Celtic Cross his weapon and I've done lots of breakdowns for him, uh, of him. And uh, I look back and Ken, the vice president of TSN, is beaming. And I can tell what he's thinking is, we got the right guy. And I swear to God, I don't know. I do good work. I work really hard. I'm, I, nobody's going to outwork me. Nobody's going to be out, out prepared. But Conor McGregor probably helped cement my job at TSN that day. That's because, a great story. And I, I was yeah. at that presser too, the, yeah. the one in Toronto. I mean, it yeah. was a zoo. I've never seen a media presence yeah. like that. So that's yeah. uh, certainly a good way to yeah. impress your boss. Uh, Robin, we only have a couple minutes left, but I wanted to give some time to just plug anything you have coming up. You just did your one night show uh, here in Toronto. Yeah. Um, just anything you got, man, okay. the floor is yours. We'll, we'll wrap Thank things up. Thank you. So my one man show is in Dublin, Ireland on June 22nd. And David, uh, 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 John Kavanaugh is my uh, is my guest. I was going to say David Mullins. John Kavanaugh is my guest. I'm going to interview him about him, about martial arts, and about his life in martial arts. And uh, I do my one man show, and I'm fucking pumped. June 22nd in Dublin, Ireland. I think well, I'll release stuff on Twitter of the link where to get it. I think there's 100, 150 people already coming. It holds 400, so it's going to be cool. Next weekend, TKO on Friday night is I'm commentating with John Ramdean on Fight Pass. The week after, I'm going to Liverpool. It's BKB10, bare-knuckle boxing. It is beautiful, bare-knuckle boxing. It's incredible. On Instagram, I've got a couple of things up, going into some of the differences of details about it. I'm doing a, a one-minute breakdown every single day. I have a kid named Dinislam from uh, Russia, and he and I work together over the internet to make an edit. I put one out almost every day. I, it's important to me to do one a day. On um, my YouTube channel, I'm going live tomorrow morning to do a couple of things. What else I got? KSW43 is April 14th. I'm hoping to be in Poland. I'm working for KSW. Um, what else? I got stuff over here. I do uh, commentary for the World Wushu Federation. I did the World Kung Fu Championships. We're doing more. Monster Zim out of South Korea. I love to do work for them. MMA World, um, uh, World Cup, which is an offshoot of World Series of Fighting Global. MMA World Cup, I'm doing stuff for them. Uh, I, I hope I haven't forgot anything. And then TSN, I'm actually going right after this and I'm voicing the commercial for UFC on TSN. UFC lives on TSN. So I wrote and uh, with Dean, the, uh, the head promo guy, and we're going to run that, uh, record that. It'll run for the next six months to a year. My voice, like talking about my love or our love of T- of uh, UFC on TSN. So I'm super busy, but I hope people follow me on Instagram because every single day I put up a one minute breakdown. That's how I get my brain started every morning. I meditate for 15. I do a one minute breakdown and then I go on the treadmill for 30 minutes and then I train jujitsu and then I analyze fighting. I got the best fucking life in the world. I really do. And my last thought is 
you know, people ask me about it. And the truth is you just have to fucking clear your debts, sell your car, do whatever, and then and stop playing video games and stop watching Netflix and spend those hours doing something you love. And in two years or five years, if I could guarantee you, you would make your living doing something you love, you would do it. So I tell people to try to do that because if you consume nothing and create, your life is probably going to be a lot more fulfilling. That's great words to, to leave things off on. And uh, Robin, it was great catching up with you, man. Uh, there's so much more I wanted to ask you, but I know obviously we only got an hour here. We'll definitely have to get you back on at some point, even with your uh, busy schedule. Uh, but I want to remind everyone, uh, we will be back again next Thursday for the MMA Industry Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports and on Fightful, which is where this is being hosted. I did an interview with Kevin Lee this week that should be up fairly soon, as well as some stuff with Michael Chiesa and Israel Adesanya, who that awesome. guy is awesome. Uh, just he's the future, man. So you got to check that out. And I uh, want to thank everyone for tuning in. And until next time we'll see you later enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.